0: Hello from Cybrary and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or a review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. As cybersecurity teams become more advanced, adversaries get craftier. That's why Cyberry's Blue Teamer Owen Dubiel and Red Teamer Matt Mullins joined forces to develop Purple Team training campaigns based on real-world threats. Their latest campaign explores how threat actors like FinTen extort organizations by threatening to expose their stolen data publicly. Hear all about how Owen and Matt created their training exercises to help you improve your situational awareness and detection strategies.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Cybrary podcast. I'm your perennial host, Will Carlson, Senior Director of Content here at Cybrary. And I'm, you know, Matt, Owen, I guess you just can't get enough. I can't seem to keep you away. <laughs> Thanks for joining again and hopping on the show to talk about, um, you know, a little bit about the, the the next Threat Actor campaign that we've launched on platform, but I guess more generally, uh, you know, the, the two E's here in this particular campaign. Um, which were they? <laughs>
0: exfiltration and ex-filtration. exfiltration. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know I whispered that, but yeah. yeah but exfiltration extortion. and exfiltration,
1: right? So we're 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 riffing a little bit on some of the previous discussion that we've had in some ways about ransomware and I know we were even talking internally with some of the team here at Cyberary is like what are the differences, right? And I think just kind of as lead off, you know, hopefully a lot of the audience knows, but for any of you that don't um, you know, I, I'm not necessarily an expert here. I'll defer to Owen and Matt on this a little bit, but you know, I feel like as an IT person, systems administrator, it seemed like there was a while when we might, as an industry, be getting ahead of ransomware because we finally were doing backups the right way. We were stopped, and we were not paying ransoms anymore. Cyber insurance providers were starting to say no, and we might have been getting ahead. And then all of a sudden, the playbook changes, right? And then, and then, and, you know, interst- interstage left. Um, th- the new version of this which is you know what we're here to talk about today but i wonder you know, matt owen if either of you could kind of how is this a iteration of uh, in a you know if i can call it an improvement it's not an improvement in any way shape or form but how did the the techniques change um, for the the threat actors and the adversaries that we were seeing that were previously deploying ransomware now to in- include exfiltration and extortion
2: yeah, I mean, I'll start I think we were we were just kind of joking about it before we started recording here, but I think the increased um credibility and and creativity of phishing has definitely gotten a lot better. Um, yeah. you know, these these threat actors are um they're investing their time and resources into you know, buying the products that everyone uses and really, you know, okay, this is what a response email looks like. This is what a password reset email looks like from this vendor let's craft it up. You know what I'm saying? To where your everyday, you know, person in HR, person in on the call center team, mm-hmm. they're not, they may not notice that, you know, even, hey, even your people in IT ops may not even be able to tell the difference at face value. So yeah. definitely phishing has gone up
0: a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and to kind of, to build off that point too, I mean um, with your question, well, like, as the phishing has went up, like Owen was saying, and as it's improved and the capabilities have improved and the uh, capabilities of you know apt groups based off of open source information that's out there, right um, all of that lends to really credible really really advanced phishing also you know to to kind of what you were talking about like you know you can you could get in and you could just ransomware them right you could just burn it down but they've kind of wisened up in the sense of, hey, how can we get more money out of the product that we offer? And I say product in air quotes, right? So yeah, you've ransomware them. Maybe you set a timer on it. You've exfiltrated a bunch of data. And maybe initially that could have been just creds, right? To be able to maintain persistence. But then they started to get a little bit more wily and think, hey, if this is a larger group or maybe a medium-sized company, or even if it's a small like doctor's office, I mean, like there's probably things that people don't want that's going to be out there. And so, hey, we get that data. It's not protected. We've already planted our ransomware. All we have to do is just kind of set the, the, the buzzer to go off when we want. So let's pull some of that, um, you know, th- that like uh, electronic public health, not public health, but personal health information, EFI. Let's pull that down. And then let's threaten them. And then even further, hey, instead of just threatening IT, let's give them some time. And then if we don't get the response we want, let's just bypass them entirely. And now another iteration is let's just message the board or like their leadership with publicly identifi- identifiable information. So now you not only get the ransom, but then you also get like a double hit, right? Like, or a triple hit, depending on how like they go about it. And they get way more money, way more bang for their buck. So they're paying to unlock the files. They're paying to protect the files. And then they're also paying for reputational hits. And it's just, it's pretty, pretty terrible. But like, I mean, this is an industry for them, right? This is what they do. This is their bread and butter. And, you know, we might sit down and talk, hey, how do we improve the quality of our product? How do we improve the quality of our, our software? How do we improve the quality of our red team operations or adversary simulation, you know, campaigns? They're doing the exact same thing. How do we get more Bitcoins out of people? <laughs> you know, like,
2: so yeah. Well, I think too, they've been, they've been around for a while. I mean, when yeah. you're speaking about, you know, Fin10, you know, Fin7, some of these older threat groups, even if they're not as active today, They've still mm-hmm. been around for a while. And as a business, they're only going to get better at what they do. You know what I'm yep. saying? So they're also evolving and growing.
1: Yeah, yeah it is exactly. a, an interesting power differential to a certain extent on the on the front of defenders versus threat actors, right? So as defenders... Not all organizations, but there's definitely an argument to be made that some organizations are interested in spending as little as possible on cybersecurity and effectively the insurance policy that cybersecurity teams ultimately provide them. So we're trying to minimize costs and threat actors Mm -hmm. are trying to maximize profits. So if you're just looking at the calculus that, you know, follow the money part of this discussion, right, it is a little out of balance. Um, so that mm. threat actor group, you know, you you, oh, yeah. you, you go in, you've deployed ransomware, you everybody's high-fiving, we accomplished objective on goal. Crap. Now we're getting more and more people that just are not biting. They're saying no, they won't pay the ransom. What are we going to do? You see your business start to dwindle. And again, all of a sudden you're like, you know what? Let's just get crafty. We'll just take all of their data out first because they don't know we're there. Mm-hmm. They say no to the ransom, and then (laughs) we start seeding information, leaking it to the media, dropping it on the dark web, send an email to the C-level executives saying, hey, does this information look familiar? That's because it is. It's your information. That's a harder one to get out of. Oh, and by the way, we're going to just lock you up and ransom you as well, just for added measure to incentivize you to do something. So not only are you going to have this disclosure, you're not going to be able to operate either. And it's a really unfortunate, pretty compelling uh, push uh, to to get something done to get money from from the the victims of these campaigns.
0: Yeah, it's it's brutal. And and, and one thing I was going to throw out there too is is they sometimes, as we've we've seen, they might not even have legitimately ransomware somebody. You know, not naming names, but like you know, in the news, you might have heard about like some very uh, important power players in the information security consulting you know space who had a fake ransom, essentially, that was well, not fake ransom, but fake allegations that they had been ransomware and that their data was going to be leaked. And like it, to your point, Will, like it spun up the media cycle, everyone was like, Oh, my gosh, I can't believe this happened. And then it turns out, oh, it was just them, you know, kicking up dust not to use like a or kicking up silt like a like a scuba diver would, right? Um, Because they were like trying to cover their tracks, or they were annoyed that they had did something to them, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's still there's still probability, even if they didn't exfiltrate or ransomware, to try to extort them or to do something just from that you know, credibility, because we all know social media and media spin now happens mm-hmm. so fast. It's so quick. You could wake up and be like, oh, wow, we, we were breached? We were breached? What?
1: Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> good when the PR team knows about it before the security team does <laughs>
0: Yeah, right? (laughs) Like, like, whoa. I I wonder
1: now that we have a a context kind of 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 the world we're living in, in in light of this particular campaign and how it relates to ransomware and is kind of the ransomware 2.0, maybe 3.0 here, Matt, to your point of the kind of that triple extortion of extorting the board and even vendors in some cases. so from your perspective as the, as the red team or adversary emulator, so how does preparing for an engagement, you know, just boots on the ground? Like if you're really going to sit down and go, okay, well, we're going to do this engagement with this company, this purple team mm-hmm. exercise. what What is preparation for you really look like as you're looking to emulate an adversary that an organization cares about?
0: Sure. Yeah. So um, everything starts with, you know, threat intelligence, you know, so if we can get, you know, our, our a kind of dossier on the group that we're emulating, that's great. Um, If they're using a particularly high quality vendor and they can share that information with us as we go into the preparation, um, that's great as well. You know, most of the internal teams that I've been on, to your question, you know, uh, we are fueled by threat intelligence so that we can emulate accurately or simulate accurately, depending on the the approach that we want to take. And then, you know, for for me personally, like we'll take that information and then we'll start doing our own research, right? So maybe there's a great write up on FinTech that's out there. Read that. Kind of know who you're imitating, you know. The you, the joke being, you know, you're you're a threat actor, right? So you have to. What's act my character? Part. So, um, yeah, <laughs> what's my character exactly? Uh, they use a lot of PowerShell. Okay, well, we're going to use a lot of powers, you know. So, all joking aside, you have that, right? You have your your reports and your information you can glean. Miter obviously is a wellspring in regards to the techniques. And then you start mapping your techniques. Okay, so if they use a lot of PowerShell and they use a lot of like Empire. All right, so let's go dig into Empire and make sure that we can implement the tooling correctly to emulate the adversary or simulate the adversary accurately within the environment for what we're going for, but then also to make sure it works because, I mean, there might not be something that's 100% match to match, right? So there might be a custom tool that they use or a variation of like a remote access Trojan or something like that. So what's the closest that we can get to make sure that for our exercise, um, we're giving the incident response slash blue team Owen's side, the the best training that they can get so that when the real Fin10 comes knocking, they're like, you guys are a joke. So yeah.
1: I I wonder, (laughs) so once you have that overall kind of storyboard, as it were, Matt, and your your how do you select tools? How do you go about, okay, we're starting the engagement. We have largely, we've tested the tools that we think this adversary is going to use. And now we're actually in and we're doing things. like What is the actual kind of day one of the, technical engagement, not not the OSINT, not the leading up to it, but when you really get boots on the ground on the technical side of things, when you're really trying to make trouble for, for folks like Owen, um, what does that look like? What's kind of like, what's game day?
0: Sure. Uh, you know, it's uh, probably <laughs> the most stressful, one of the most stressful points for me personally, because like a great example is, say we've spent three months preparing a payload, right? Or we spent uh, three months or one month or depending on how hastily it was crafted, you know, a week on a, on a phishing campaign, there's still a lot of premeditation infrastructure and things like that, that might go into it. Um, assuming that you're not using some sort of, um, breaching automation software or attack simulation software, you know, so when you send that out, um, especially if you're doing it more like on a red teamy simulate side and it's the, um, the incident response team slash blue team isn't read in, there's a little bit of like, Oh, Because, you know, you put all that hard work into this fishing payload and then like, you know, if they have good defenses, it's just going to get shut down right out of the gate. So there's a little bit of the nervous sweat, like the, but, uh, you know, once you get in, um, because invariably someone will click because there's a free iPod or like an iWatch or maybe some tickets to like a AMC theater (laughs) or something like that. Um, when they, when they go for it, um, you know, then you're like, okay, we're in, let's set our persistence. Let's start acting the part, right? Let's start doing the thing. If we have an assumed breach, obviously that stress has been reduced. If it's, um, if it's an assumed breach or it's a purple team and we have like, um, you know, a volunteer, I, I volunteers tribute. Um, we pop them and we are in their box and we do our things. Cool. Right. There's a little bit less stress. Uh, but from there it's like you said, game day. All right. What's, what's our process. Okay. We get in, we set persistence. Can we elevate? Can't elevate. Okay. Can we laterally move to another system? What does this user have access to, et cetera, et cetera? And then act out the part where it makes sense. Because for example, you know, if you're doing one particular APT group and they might aggressively you know, use PS exec or something like that, another group might not, right? So acting that part out that was driven by the, the threat intelligence and then going from there. So it's more of once you're in and you know, depending on the style of the engagement, you're executing is a little bit less stress, but for me personally, that initial fish, because you've waited so long to to finally use it, and you're like, oh, please don't, please don't fail. We really, would be great if we could get a shell. Please like work. Yeah, <laughs> please work. please. Work. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, so
1: you clearly would have done all your preparations up to that point, right? So no good to get a fish to get in and then not be able to do anything. So you've done months sometimes longer work getting ready for this and if you, if you can't even get past the the security guard at the door that was all for naught but that would yeah. be <laughs> you know great for owen and yeah. team oh, that's yeah. the case to your point though usually leveraging the human element at that point you can probably get in the door so i wonder flipping the script over to the other side of the coin now right so owen to your side um how do you start? How do you keep him out? What does what game day look like for you? Like, right? So you uh, setting the stage, I'm sure you walk into the office like a normal day. Let's say you haven't been read in and Matt's been engaged externally to come in and do this. And it's just a normal day at the office and you sit down to the console and you've got some alerts and you begin triaging those. And then at some point you realize something's wrong. What, what's the thought process? What's the, where do you go? What do you do? How do you start?
2: Totally. Yeah. Well, funny enough, I think we both start from a uh, red team blue side. I think we both start with the threat intelligence, you know, as the, the key uh, indicator or the key uh, source of truth. So essentially, A, you know, on the defensive side, you're going to have that threat intel baked into your tools um, so that it's, it's tuned in and focused on the sector that is most relevant to you. If you're in FinTech, you'd, you know, you'd want to be consuming that type of threat intel to only be looking at threat actors that, you know, may actually come after you. Um, but, I mean, playing to your your scenario there, um, you know, referencing, uh, doing lookups on those alerts to be able to, to really rule out, okay, is this something legitimate or is this just, you know, a script kitty or is it, who knows, some dev, you know, messing around. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, um, on a day-to-day basis, week-to-week basis, when you're looking at your SIM um, from like a response perspective, you're combing through logs and alerts and incidents. Um, it's really focusing on the anomalies, like be, having a way to be able to tell what's normal and what's not normal. So either spikes in activity or droughts in, in a certain data source, um, uh, even even like health events too, that uh, that may be triggering like, oh, hey, you're missing data all of a sudden from you know for for 5 or 10 minutes from a you know your sysmon logs or your your networking logs that may be who knows that could be a hidden indicator that pays into a, a bigger you know attack that could be happening um, yeah. also you know playing into the the whole you know normalization of your network having an understanding of like well, okay what does normal file activity look like what users have the ability to interact with certain files all of a sudden you have you know, Becky from HR, who's editing, you know, uh, legal uh, in the legal folder, and she's editing Excel spreadsheets, modifying them, changing them, um, or even to, even more severely, making registry changes on, on her computer. Like that's not common, right? So just having that mindset of being able to look at your instance, and this takes time, obviously, as a defender, to learn your environment um, and learn what's normal, what's not. But uh, ideally on a day-to-day basis, you sit down, you're looking at your alerts. That that's kind of my mindset going into it.
1: So if I if I can paraphrase that a little bit, it's the the that situational awareness that's really important, right? So what might be an yes. indicator of something strange in one environment might be totally normal in another. And that just takes a fair bit of time and experience to to figure those things out. Would you say that's accurate at
2: all? Yeah. Oh, yeah, very accurate. And and kind of to play it into these courses that we're delivering, you have to understand too, we're providing you with the base search, the base visibility of like, okay, this is what it takes just to be in the game, just to find the activity. But at the end of the day, all of these, they're up to you to sit down and tailor them, tune them to your environment so that it's applicable. Because you may put this in your sim and it may light up and it may be all false positive because that activity is normal. Or you may not see anything because that activity is just it, you know it's not applicable so you know being able to to really have someone you know with whether it's in security or operations or it that can sit down with you and go okay you know this is normal this is not it's really beneficial from the defensive side when you you're building these alerts out
1: yeah that's great I, and i think it, it speaks a lot to the um the amount of on-the-job training required. So you can have a, 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 a an amazing professional step into the job and they may be able to get to work a little bit, but there's going to be a fair bit of time, both on the offensive side, Matt, and, and on the defensive side too, for sure, Owen, before they are really operationally ready. Um, boots on the ground, proficient in the environment to be able to identify uh, some of those things. I think for me, it, it makes it that much more important that, and it's some of the risk, and I think some of the hesitancy in the market for bringing in people that don't have the fundamentals already at hand, because even when you do, there can be so much to continue to grow and learn yet. It's a, you know, a funny situation that we're in in the market as well. And that there's just not enough people. So we are having to bring in some of those folks. So there's, there's a lot of ground to cover even for people that already have all of the basics well under, under their belt, but you know, bringing in those that don't and try to upskill them and get them up to speed as fast as possible is really important also. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I wonder yeah. Owen as you're as you're going through let's say you, from the from the blue team side of this let's say you're given a, some some cyber threat intel and you're wanting to make sure you have everything in place to detect this particular uh, threat actor what does that process look like for you right so you you have the CTI report you know what techniques are after uh, said maybe a different way pointedly about the way we've built these campaigns and that we all largely agreed what the engagement was going to look like you had an idea of, at least about what the bad guy Matt was going to be doing and who he's emulating. And you're going in ahead of him doing that, building some of these detections to get ready to 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 catch him. So what's your thought process there? How does that work? How do you get started and move from the CTI report, which is good information and actually operationalize that and get it out of the environment?
2: Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing I do is is take that report um, and then reference it to, you know, something obviously like MITRE does a great job of, of listing out per threat actor everything that they do, all, all their, their, um, their tool sets that they may use, their techniques that they use. Um, so I compare it to something like that. And then I take that, the, the, the correlation of those two data points and I look in my sim and I go, okay, do I have anything that can detect this type of activity, right? Do I, am I looking for anything PowerShell? You know, okay, I'm looking for, you know, PowerShell execution, great. Do I have anything further than that? You know what I'm saying? So it's just really, it's it's a constant tuning game of being able to take that report and evaluate your current instance of the rules and the signals that you may have in place um, and, and just continuously build on it to, you know, and it may take time because you may add in some logic um, that you think, oh, this would be really, I mean, if, if they got away with this, it would be a showstopper. But it may end up, who knows, it may end up breaking your rule set. You, yeah. you know, it, it's a constant back and forth where you have to actually be able to try to execute some of this stuff so that you can test it on the fly. Um, but really, that's a, that's a lot of the, on the defensive side, is just this plug and play mentality of, you know, you get new intel in and you ensure that in one way or another, you have some sort of compensating visibility or control for it in place.
0: Yeah, that's, it's, I was going to say, adding to that too, Owen, like, that is, I can't tell you the number of times that there have been red team engagements I've been on, where we have done all these things. And we're like, Oh, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And we're running out of ideas. And then we just throw something against the wall, like MS build, or, you know, PowerShell downgrade or something like that, right? Something simple. And then it works. And in the readout or the debrief, we're like, what happened, guys? Like we thought, this like an that old was debrief? Like, yeah, yeah. The whole debrief, yeah. And it's just like, um, well, we have that that ruling or that implementation, or we had that control, but it looks like it wasn't turned on, or it wasn't validated. Oh yeah, it was a static line that it was looking for versus like you know the win API call or something like that, right? And that happens a lot. To your point, Owen, and like that is so important to be able to say, hey, not only do we have our, our our rules or our signals or our detection logic or whatever, we also need to validate it. We need to yeah. validate that's working the environment correctly and exactly what Owen has been hitting at, like knowing the environment that you're with, knowing what your environment regular activity looks like, what are the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows. If you're not getting logs from this one particular system, you know, yeah, it could be that, you know, it's just going through a patch cycle, but it could also mean that, you know, something is tangling it up. Maybe someone has deleted log files. Maybe they stomped a particular file to make sure that it looks a particular way. Could be maybe the, the CPU cycles are going up and that could be the big thing, right? Oh, wow, that CPU cycle is going up. Then there was this weird movement. And now all the servers in this like pool are now their cycles are going up. We should check the processes. Oh, it looks like it's an in-memory crypto miner. You know, like, so those things happen and you're exactly right. right. Like, and, and it could be something as simple as making sure the lights are on.
2: No, that's that's definitely from a defensive side. That's a common, a common practice I've seen, especially um, in younger teams. That mm. they just implement a sim right, and they turn all the alerts on, and all the alerts start going off. And they're now they're getting yelled at by you know their leadership. Hey, is this legit? Is it not? We need to quiet this down. Instead of taking the time to go through and tune it properly, they disable the ones that are too noisy. And maybe forget to come back and, and re enable them, right? So, there, there's that's a, definitely a popular use case I've, I've witnessed a time or two.
0: Yeah, and, and one other thing, too, I was going to just throw there. Sorry, Will, like, is that with rotations and with burnout, mm-hmm. especially with blue teams, which is such a real thing that, like, I think, you know, needs to be known, right? Like, blue teams oh, yeah. have, I've said this before in the other podcast. Alert fatigue. Alert fatigue, blue teamers have the hardest job and they have the most important job. Like, again, we exist to to help train them up. So like when you have rotation out from where a junior person comes in and they're just swamped and no one builds them up with the skill sets, like you were saying, Will, and they're just like drinking from the fire hose. Like, man, this isn't for me. You know, I need to go do something else, you know? And then like they leave and then no one knows what alerts they validated or what was turned on. Those things happen. And then you start to have this technical debt, Right. And there's these holes in the armor. And then all of a sudden, you know, along comes a spider, you know, and then that's that, right? Yeah, I think so, that's an
1: interesting segue too to, to things like imposter syndrome in the industry, right? So I know it gets talked about, thankfully now, I think yeah. quite a lot. Um, and, and you know, some people use it as a, oh yeah, I've had that before. Um, but I, I do think inherently, oh, and to your point, like, putting yourself in the shoes of an analyst, even one that's been in the field for a a while, but is new to an organization. Like you've always got that nagging sense of, of fear or guilt of, was that alert that I just triaged as not a problem? The one that really was a problem. How do I know it wasn't? How do I make sure I'm hearing all the signal and all the input that I really need to, I'm cutting through the noise and I know the baseline well enough inherently or if the organization doesn't give us the tool that I think we need to be able to help, you know, understand what the user behavior baseline really is, and now all of a sudden I'm just having to figure that out on the fly every single day, and it's, you know, the 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 risks for a series of mistriaged tickets are pretty significant. Um, in the moment when oh, yeah. you're really being driven, I mean, you know, and oh, and I'd love for you to tell me this is not the case, but when some of the primary <laughs> metrics you're being driven on, or how many tickets did you triage? How many of them were false positives or not? Um, it's tough, right? So you're 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 in the moment. You're flying by the seat of your pants. You can see the alert cues stacking mm-hmm. up, and you've just got to process as fast as you possibly can, as good as you possibly can, knowing that that one that you missed might be the one that got away.
2: Mm. Right, and then try to sleep that night, knowing that <laughs> it's going to be on the forefront of your mind. Like, oh crap! Or you come in the next day, and there, there's another alert related to that that same host or that same entity and you're like, oh shoot, could I prevented this a day before? Oh yeah, that's a that's definitely a real, especially with newer, newer folks that you bring onto your team that just don't know even where to ask the questions. You know what I'm saying? Even who to message or uh, you know, no even knowing the the host name structure to know, is this a production Mm. machine? Is it a dev machine? Because even between that syntax, you know, that activity might be valid on a personal dev machine versus, you know, yeah. something in
1: production. Well, and at least there's never any shadow IT in the environment. Never, all the host names always follow the standard, and there's never anything uh, sneaky uh, yeah. That's that got right. in <laughs> that you have to triage that it happens so much that all of a sudden that becomes the new normal. <laughs> yeah. oh, it, 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 configuration yep. drift is a real thing, right? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I wonder, Owen, to your point, um, once... <laughs> Let's say you have everything finely tuned. You think things are good to go. Um, you know, I, I think part of these discussions and why it's so interesting to talk about this this style of this engagement really on Purple Team is that um, oh, the comment you made earlier, Owen, is that you can set all this up and it's oftentimes hard to know how as a defender you would even go to test that. Because as a defender, have I ever actually used and deployed a metasploit payload before? I don't know, maybe not. Oh, yeah. And right. even if I could, am I the one that should go in and try to figure that out? And so validating controls is oftentimes a hard thing. So I think that's, what's a really fun about, um, what it is that we're doing and the way we're doing it. And, you know, some of the things that I, I know we're going to be able to do in the environments here with these campaigns relatively soon. And, and how do you day to day, um, you know, maybe without disclosing too much on oh, in your past experience, how do you validate these things? So you're sitting down at the console, you have this cyber threat intelligence report, you know you need to be able to detect this thing. I put the rule in, I yeah. had a pre baked rule in the sim, I turned it on. I'm just gonna trust that it worked.
2: Right. No. <laughs> so there's a couple different avenues. Um one, obviously if you have if you have a uh live pen test engagement happening or it Recently happened. That's the best way is to be able to go alongside of it and build as you go. That way you've got that point of reference. You can reach out and say, "Hey, I'm seeing this. Are you doing this?" Yes, okay. And then that kind of solidifies the activity. That's not always the case, and it's kind of the most expensive. Um, so usually, I mean, for me, luckily, I've been blessed with you know people in my industry and on my teams that have been able to quickly manifest these situations for me. Um, you know the the mats of the world, um, so I'm able to you know contact him and have him generate this activity. Now, if you're in a company that doesn't have that ability, I mean, yeah, I could see how you you're trying to spool up Metasploit, and you're like, well, it looks like it worked. Did it work? I don't know. <laughs> you know, am I seeing anything? I see something. Um, that that's that's kind of where we're trying to bridge that gap a little bit. I think you're at Cyberay, right? Is really trying to bring awareness to you know that. That mean of like, okay, do you have to get a full scale pen test to be able to strengthen your, you know, your security posture? Necessarily, you don't have to. We, we'd like to be able to teach you how to do it on your own, or, or be able to, you know, spool this stuff up on the fly to be able to recreate scenarios, or even how we do it in the labs, right? Matt goes through an attack, right, but we break it down per technique or per sub technique, yep. right, to be able to show, look. This, this is what he's doing. This is a registry, you know, run key, you know, change right here. This is what it looks like. This is how we did it. So um, hopefully, Cyber can, we as a whole, we can bring, you know, awareness to that. And I think there's
1: a lot to be said, too, for um, just knowing uh, that these kinds of things exist. Like, it's it's one thing just knowing that you don't have the capability as a cybersecurity professional or your organization doesn't to validate a control that you just put in place can be enough to start the conversation with your leadership team to have that discussion of, you know, we've spent all this time tooling the sim to catch all of these things, but I don't know if I'm really able to catch them. So how do we, how can we do that? Whether it's, Sending some on the team to training to learn a, a deeper perspective about the red team side of things to do what you can yep. is Will saying that that's as good as an external pen test or having your own ad sim team or no I'm not saying that but every organization exists at a different spot on their cybersecurity spectrum yep. um, and and I think that as long as we're all always continuing to grow and to try to do more then then that's better than the simple thought of well, we put these detections in place. We bought a cool new sim and I turned on all the alerts and we shut up the ones Owen to your point that were way too noisy because they clearly aren't important. Um
0: Yeah, there's there's a good point too that I think that you kind of teased out, Will, and I think Owen, you also called out earlier is that, you know, having these types of engagements where you do have um red team or purple team activity. I mean, it could be that, you know, your company can't afford to have a team, right? So you have automation software and that will get you so far, right? You know where the agent's deployed, right? You know the attack pattern. It's going to follow to a degree like an APT group. And that's good, right? You can then, you kind of uh, comb the, the detections so that they make sense. Um, doing a purple team exercise, maybe a little bit of a step up, right? Where they're coupled very closely, go lo- nice, low and slow. But again, all those things you see coming. Um, and kind of what I'm building towards is the penultimate is a true black box adversary simulation where there might be variations in the theme, right? So we know they're gonna be using uh, similar uh, TTPs to to you know, Fin10, but they might not laterally move the same way, or they might use Empire as their essential like C2, but there might be some variations that they use for network enumeration, or the way that they clean up after their payloads. And so having those things, can can give you so much based off of what you already have implemented. Because again, I think like you both called out, you buy the new blinking box. The salesman said, it will stop all the bad trademark, right? So you turn mm-hmm. it on. And what is it running? Default rules. Nothing has been tuned, exactly like Owen said to your environment. And so then the big bad wolf comes in wearing the red team hat and they just go right through. And it's like all the default stuff. Yeah, well, as as good, you know, adversary emulators or simulators, we're going to modify our payloads to make them work if we want them to truly work. Kind of like we're talking about with fishing. There's a lot of premeditation that goes into it. I make the statement, we're just going to sit here and we're going to sharpen sticks you know, before we go hunt the woolly mammoth. And that's what we do. We specialize in that. So they might not have the same dropper method, right? But we want a better dropper method because we know that there's probably a default rule to catch you know, this weak PowerShell uh, IEX cradle. So we do a little variation on that, right? We use remote template injection or we use, you know, Excel linked libraries or something like
1: that. But that's not fair, Matt. The CTI report said the adversary did it this one specific way. You you can't call an audible on the play. (laughs) That's completely unfair. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Table flip. You're right. So, but it's like, it's good though, because, you know, like you said, like this doesn't follow the T exactly. And adversaries as anybody, you know, as both of you all know, like you track the stuff with miter. There's always a little, little update, little update. Here's a new technique added. Here's another thing that we saw in the wild. They're changing, right? They're sharpening a different type of stick. Maybe they're making very simple bows and now that's how they're going to go hunt the woolly mammoth. And so we got to be prepared. Right. And I say we, because again, circling it all back around, like we exist to make sure the Owens are like pumped up and ready to kick some, kick some butt. If we don't do our job, and you're like, yeah, man, you got all the default rules. We threw the most basic of PowerShell downloaders, like one-liners. Looks like you got the thing I found on GitHub that I didn't modify at all, which you should be modifying and vetting your code anyways, but that's a different conversation for another day, right? Like, that's that's our purpose. So, yeah.
1: I, I wonder, <laughs> as we're coming around, uh, you know, close to time here already, um, which the time with both of you always goes so fast, um, I, I want to poke on a particular technique. Um, And I'm just pulling one out of the air. So we'll talk about the exfiltration piece of this. So I wonder, Matt, very specifically, like as you knew going into this campaign, uh, clearly you've got the CTI report to lean on a little bit, but we oftentimes don't know exactly the procedures that these threat groups are using. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. We just know at the end of the day, they exfilled data. They got it all out somehow. So how do you puzzle through that um and you know maybe specifically for this campaign how did you go about doing that and why did you select the the procedure that you did
0: yeah sure so like it it really depends again the the environment's unique right so when we go in and we're saying hey we want to tra- uh, we want to test any detections for exfiltration of data really what are we talking about the DLP right data loss prevention controls and things like that So, what we might say is, is we know that they use, I don't know, um, FTP as their primary method or whatever for exfiltration. Okay, that's fine. But we know that FTP won't work in the environment that we're in. So, we might modify that. We know that they use a lot of Slack. Can we use Slack as an exfiltration channel for data? Okay, let's try that. And then, further, you know, obviously, we don't want to exfiltrate. Actual data. So, how do we generate, uh, commensurate or uh, simulate important, important data, right? So, if it's a financial services company, can we generate fake credit card numbers and information that should trigger DLP in an intelligent way? Uh, is it a medical company? Can we generate Excel spreadsheets or things like that that look like their patient data? You know, something that is um, close enough to the real thing that it should trigger all the rules. Um, Something that's close enough to the adversary that makes sense. Like, what are we exfiltrating? Are we just going to try to exfiltrate information from the network itself that we could then sell, or are we like again trying to exfiltrate information that would be pertinent to the products that they sell? Right? Maybe they're a development research company for, um, you know, like mining services. They're working on a new a new drill bit that's going to change everything and how mining is handled. Right? That's fine, but we have to make sure that we do it in a way that is appropriately going to trigger. The correct controls, and then we go forth and we we go forth and seek knowledge per se. And uh, by doing that, and honing it correctly, kind of like with the other stuff, we know that we're testing the controls. We know that we're making it accurate, and we know that we're meeting the objective of making sure that blue team is getting the duress that they need to kind of have that resistance to make the muscles bigger. So that's usually the process. Um, sometimes it's a little bit on the fly because I will be honest with you all. Like sometimes we go in and we we're like okay. We know they're going to catch us. So we need to do this super secret squirrel, triple backflip through the lasers technique. And it goes fine. And we're like, okay, that was cool. But maybe we make it a little bit louder. And then it gets to the point where like literally just emailing out this giant list of credit (laughs) cards. We're yelling at you now. (laughs) Literally like somebody read the email on the way out, please stop (laughs) us. And they're like, nope, didn't see it. And you're just like, okay, well, we know where we need to start, right? (laughs) (laughs) So that's usually the yeah, process. so
1: flipping that coin, Owen, I wonder, you know, for... This is an interesting one to me because depending on how uh, the adversary is getting data out, this can be a tricky one to catch. But so I just wonder, you know, as you're setting up detections and controls against uh, data exfiltration, kind of w- where do you start? What tools do you use? What's the low-hanging fruit? And then kind of, you know, how do you get more sophisticated in the tool stack um, to detect this particular one? Because I mean, again, right... Um, there's data leaving networks all the time. You've got internet connections, you've got legitimate FTP, you've got, this is a really noisy one that can get pretty complicated fast.
2: Oh yeah. And it can be even more complicated now with the work from home and with the the whole presence of multiple clouds, right? You've got cloud storage now. Everyone pretty much runs email out of cloud and it's just, it's tough, right? It's tough to be able to also differentiate the crosstalk because certain tools that we have in place, um, for instance, on, on our users' workstations may also be communicating in one way or another with their home networks if they're not logged into the VPN directly. Yeah. So there's just a lot of avenues where, you know, data can slip through the cracks. Um, so yeah, really having an understanding though of like, okay, what are our normal means of communication? And then really trying to lock that down and restrict it. Based on the user's role and their responsibilities, things like that. Um, honestly, uh, to, to solve for the the cloud issue, having like a some sort of like Casby solution in place, where you can really see um, everything. You know, you're really trying to force everything through that one tunnel as best as you can, um, and, and ensure that you know, okay, the accounts and the machines that are connecting and sending data through there are able to. Um, Casby's do a great job of of being able to uh, to really force through that tunnel and then create visibility into the different clouds and and what's happening, even the public, the public cloud. So if, hey, user uh, what did I call her, Beth from HR or, or Bethany from HR, um, she she sent an Excel spreadsheet from her, you know, her work Gmail to her personal Gmail. A CASB would be able to tell you, you know, that you're going from that that private domain to that public domain, Gmail, um, or drive or, you know, whatever. Um, so really having an understanding of, okay, where are outbound communications going? And then also having that, um, that like, uh, email DLP gateway in place, whatever that looks like, um, that would help you both on the front end, stop the phishing. And then also you would hope it would help you on the way out preventing, like Matt was saying, credit cards or, or whatnot being able to at least match those you know those syntaxes up and um tr- try to to stop those from,
1: from yeah and i think this is where defense in depth really gets interesting right so if all you're trying to detect and the only the only thing you can see is when data miraculously starts leaving the network <laughs> that's going to be hard because data leaves <laughs> networks all the time Oops. so i think you know the hope would yeah. be from a yeah. from a defensive perspective that you start looking harder for data leaving the network because you've seen other things that give you pause and make you wonder, ooh, that oh, yeah. actually might be happening. And I'm worried about that because I have these three other things. And at that point, you're on the trail and you kind of know what endpoint that might be happening from. And then you're looking through logs and you go, yeah. oh, look, the Casby says that this is happening. That's not normal baseline for this particular machine. And by the way, this is a machine that we think is at risk because of these other three things techniques that point to that particular endpoint. So again, we're we're Sherlock Holmes a little bit here, but y- you have to have the detections in place to be able to cobble all that together because data exfiltration oh, is sure. such a tough one to me, right? Because there's there's data traversing networks, public and private, on a regular basis all the time. It's really noisy oh, yeah. with yeah. legitimate reasons. I don't think any of us want to be the reason that the CEO can't send the email that they want to send because DLP caught them. <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to send something to a vendor, get out of my way. Um, that's a quick way to get rules shut off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've okay. come up on time. Um, again, the time always goes so fast with the both of you. I appreciate you both being on. I'm confident that uh, you know, as long as you're willing to stick with us and, and continue to produce great content, which I know you will, we're excited to have you on. We'll have more discussions like this, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Thank you both for joining today. Thank you all for listening in, and we'll see you in the next episode. Cybrary the premier cybersecurity skill development platform
2: is empowering individuals and teams to secure the future of technology. See why 3 million people have already signed up when you visit www.cyberary.it.